Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Gadget Podcast. I'm senior editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm deputy editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week, it's all about Samsung's new Galaxy S24 phones. We'll be chatting about the the plain old model, the S24, the S24 Plus, and the S24 Ultra. And uh, I I really want to know like what you think of these things, Sherlyn. We've also had mm-hmm. a bunch of people look at them. Uh, we won't be talking about the Apple Vision Pro. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, we didn't Not get yet. a review model, but maybe next. Yeah, I think by next week. We should be able to have a whole episode dedicated to that thing. I'm really excited to try it out, too. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes and drop us an email at podcast at Engadget.com. Okay, Sherlyn, so we have another round of Samsung Galaxy phones. We you know, we talked about it for the previews and your hands-ons. Sounds like AI is, is kind of the pitch for them. Is AI, is it actually good AI, you know? I, it's hard to say. I think here's my main takeaway. Um, and and across the team, we had like Sam review the Galaxy S24 Ultra. I spent time comparing the S24 Plus to the Pixel 8 Pro um, because I was very curious to see if Samsung could outdo Google at what Google has historically done best, right? Um and then we've got Richard Lai, who's currently uh, who's who's turned in a, a review of the base uh, models, but it, the review's uh, not yet up as of this recording, but might be by the time it goes up. Anyway, my my main takeaway, uh, and I think similarly, Sam and our Richard had uh, uh, about the same thoughts. Um, is that yeah, they're not perfect, right? And no one is. Perfect. And Samsung's first attempt at these like real AI features is not going to be perfect, but they present good competition to Google. Um, They are good enough, I think, for use in specific instances. Still very much novelty type things to me. But the general takeaway is that if you don't expect them to be magical, they will be fine. So the main features in terms of the uh, AI on the Galaxy S24 series are in four areas. Number one, uh, in chat assist. So this will help you translate your messages with uh, in other languages or suggest different uh, versions of them. There's also uh, notes where it can help you, you know, summarize, reorganize, uh, format your notes in the notes app. Uh, you can also, in transcriptions in the Recorder app, uh, not only just get transcriptions with speaker labels, but also summarize them, uh, get them uh, exported to the Notes app pretty easily, and then do more stuff from there. And uh, live translate and interpreter mode, um, these are quite similar to features like Google's Duplex, and Google has its own interpreter mode as well. Uh, and then, you know, that's all the kind of like the word-related AI stuff. There's also photo stuff. So within the um, 
camera and the photography area. There's AI that's helping you kind of tweak things, suggesting edits and sort of stuff like that. But also Samsung's own Magic Editor, which is a well-known Google feature. And uh, I will, I mean, I, I did a side-by-side -side comparison of the Magic Editor uh, on our video about the S24 Plus versus the Pixel 8 Pro because those two are by the same price. Um, I'm, I'm impressed by Samsung, honestly. <laughs> I have to say, I'm just like, whoa, okay. Like, you didn't do the exact... Like, wh what I did was, like, on a picture of, like, um, a pagoda or something with, like, a steeple, right? I just... You're supposed to, like, scribble on top of whatever you want to select. Um, and then the software or the AI will automatically identify, like, what you're trying to highlight. Um, so the outline right? It's, it will select exactly everything within the picture. And Google was able to select all of the steeple, no problem. Whereas Samsung struggled with like the lower part of the, um, the, the, the pointy, needly, steeply structure because part of that blended into the roof. So Samsung's actually left some of the, the bottom part of the steeple thing behind. Um, so, you know, not all the way there, but quite close. You know what I mean? Like, when we talked about these things for preview, though, like we were saying, Samsung, what are you doing, right? Like, why are you building your own things here when you're in the Google ecosystem? Google already has this tech. And I think even for the first round, they will be better than you. You know, is, do you see the point of Samsung doing their own thing? It sounds like you're happy there's some competition, at least. Yeah, I think competition is good. And I think we've also seen Samsung do better than Google at a lot of like built in native software type things. Samsung's like um, video editor has historically been just so much better than the one in Pixel phones. Um, and if you think about it, Samsung's been making phones longer than Google has. I mean, sure. Yeah, they have technically. Yes. I mean, even if you think back all the way to like Nexus one, right? Like it's, it's been well, a, even like, pre pre smartphones. Like they have exactly. been Samsung's been around Korea so much yeah. longer. So Samsung knows how to do some things right. Um, so it might not have the upper hand in AI all the time, but Samsung knows how to do built in software. Um, I don't know about software. Like here's the thing. Samsung knows how to build phones, right? They have the hardware and stuff. They have the screens everybody wants, but I guess it comes, it comes down to that thing. Charlotte, like, are you, I don't know. Like we've talked about the pixel phones, right? And some of those AI features seem really nice, like seem really polished for what Google does. Are, do these actually feel more polished for you or some of the Samsung stuff? I will say this. I brought up the point about like Samsung making software for phones for a long time because we've seen people like Google copy Samsung features into Android directly, like screen recordings, which is itself copying a third-party app or something. But, sure, sure. you know, Samsung did the long scroll screenshot. Samsung did the um, nearby share a little bit faster. You know what I mean? Like there's a bunch of things Samsung's done to copy to like, that Google has then absorbed into Android. What I think we're seeing now is the reverse, which is Samsung then copying <laughs> Google software to be part of its own built-in ecosystem of apps. So like, do I think that's a bad or good thing? I think for consumers, it's a good thing. I think that for a Samsung user, you would prefer the company have built-in software that's like it's got full control over. It owns the vertical. We've seen how Apple with full control over its like hardware and software is able to deliver better. I do I think that Samsung's not as good at as Google at software? Yes. But do I think it's good for Samsung to understand and start learning and figure out how to own the vertical a bit more? Also, yes. Like I think it, it just, will lead to a yeah. better user experience. 
it feels like it puts the consumers like, okay, you are the guinea pigs, right? Like you're buying Samsung hardware. So now you have to live with this first gen Samsung AI stuff. Meanwhile, the Google phones are right there doing so much of this better. To me, that seems unfair to consumers. I but, mean, you know. yeah, I think justice for Pixel, right? I think that there yeah, should be yeah. more Pixel phone uh, users in general. But in a sense, they're also guinea pigs, right? In a way, like, you know, Google has to fight to... Um, establish itself it has to fight to like stand out in the sea of android phones and what has it done last year it did the temperature sensor on the pixel 8 pro are we not guinea pigs for that experiment either i mean it's oh, absolutely i mean right. google's not trying to sell hardware right google's more like here is the, the shining device on the mountain can you all make something that's as good as this i feel like that's what the pixel phones have always been they never really like push in the sales, past. You think yeah. I will say in the past, the pixel brand has been very much like this is our showcase of our best software. Right. Like, so that's why they've been so prohibitively expensive. But if you look at like the marketing, I think Google really wants to get these pieces of hardware out there, um, which is, again, weird. And I will never stop saying how weird it is that they're competing against their own collaborators. But it's the way the world works, I guess. That's the Capitalism. way the world works. I mean, Microsoft is making computers now. Um, everybody wants like what Apple does, right? Except they can't do it because they have third-party <laughs> partners to like deal with. Um, so, surely, like anything about these phones, otherwise. So you've got the S twenty-four, the S twenty-four Plus, which I assume is bigger. The Ultra, I know, has a different design and even more cameras. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you thinking about these phones in general? Like, what should most people end up getting at this point? <sighs> I mean, right now, uh, they're among the best Android phones out there. I mean, I'm still a fan of the Pixel series more than anything. I think when I did my camera face off between the uh, Pixel 8 Plus uh, Pro and the S24 Plus, mm -hmm. goddamn, um, <laughs> it, it was clear that like, yes, you know, Google still has the edge, but it boils down to like such minute differences and we've seen this trend for so many years now that like you really like even Apple has closed the photography gap, I think, on yeah, definitely. Uh, on iPhones. So you really like there's not a lot of reason for you to to like go to one company over another. It boils down to your ecosystem, what you're bundled into, what you've been using over the years. Uh, no one's doing one thing better than another, really. If you look at, again, if you look at how close Samsung is to Google on the AI side, it's it's kind of depressing, I think, for, for me as a Google fan <laughs> to be like, huh, what is Google going to do next? You know, it's like, oh, yeah. boy. Whenever I hear the term Google fan, I'm just like, I'm, okay, yes, I'm yeah, a, they're I'm doing a, better I'm now. a technology fan. I've been a longtime Gmail slash Chrome fan. I wanted, I was on Google Wave, bro. I, I, That's I, what I, I mean by I I'm a Google too, fan. But have you, know? you seen, like, apparently there's, like, a bunch of Fitbit users who are just, like, ready to tear down Google because they're not fixing battery problems with the new Fitbit, you know, the bands and stuff. Like, it's Google and hardware. Google and hardware is always a mess because fundamentally this company is so... They're an advertising company. They barely think about like hardware. So I think we have felt that so often, which is why they've rebooted their phone program so many times. Um, you know, they're doing better. That's great. Well, it sounds like these phones are good, Trillin. Like, what do you think? Do you think it's worth paying more for the Ultra, given what the Ultra provides? Not, no, not for the Ultra. I think the Ultra is exorbitant. I don't know what Samsung's thinking, making it, what, $1,300? I mean... They have a pro phone! Like the Here's my thing mm -hmm. about Samsung. I think they've done a really good job with the S24 series, but I am really sick of the copying everyone else. I am sick of you trying to be Apple. I'm sick of you copying Google. I'm, do your own thing. Come on. <coughs> 
experiment a little on your own. The designs are so boring on the hardware. They've copied every company under the sun in terms of hardware. It's really, it's just, I don't even, and you know what? They've done some things like way better. They've done the foldable thing better. They weren't the first. They definitely weren't the first to try a foldable phone, but like they're doing it better than everyone because they have the pure like, mass there and they also failed spectacularly the first time too and they did and they but they're also one of the few companies that has the ability to to withstand that sort of embarrassment and come back like they they had exploding exploding phones phones. yeah 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 so you know samsung's done the experimenting thing and come back and and been able to survive maybe try something different but i don't you see you, you can ask me what that something different must be and or should be and i couldn't tell you that's the question for everybody, right? That is the question for Microsoft and the Surface devices. It's a, even the question for Apple at times. Like, what do you experiment with? I remember when Samsung used to experiment with like, hey, I'm going to wave my hands above the front-facing camera for like gestures and stuff. Was it? It was never worked. Sam- it was, it, it was LG. Worked. It was Google. I don't yeah. know if Samsung ever did it, but yeah, it never did. And look at what happened to LG. I mean, RIP, you know? RIP. And hey. What killed them is that they took a lot of swings is the thing. We kept talking about they how did. great it is that LG took swings and that flex, the, Man, uh, that the wing, many, many different the wing. ones. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> the wing. I mean, RIP LG, RIP HTC and everybody else in the smartphone graveyard. I really, so Google did buy up right the HTC stuff. And I feel like we still see glimpses of it in the Pixel hardware. They, they got like some of that business. So, I don't know. The design know. doesn't look the same anymore, but yeah. Yeah. So, Okay. Another series of phones from Samsung, and we've got some AI stuff, and that all sounds pretty good. Anything else you want to shout out about these phones, Sherlyn? I would say definitely go check out the reviews, especially Sam's review video. I think he goes uh, quite in-depth on a lot of these features. We did a call on Live Translate where it was just complete chaos. I think, though, I mean, I I, I had like a little like idea for a follow-up piece just based on our experience with the Live Translate in Samsung's S24s, which is that I think real-time translation um, it's not here simply because it's actually a little too hard. Mm-hmm. Unless you can get it's AI impossible. to be like, yeah, yeah to, to for the AI to preemptively know what you're going to say, which means it has like sensors in your brain. Like you can't get it over the lag. The lag is a really serious problem that's causing confusion uh, in a very real way. So yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, Sam's review is very detailed. Go check it out. It's sort of like the lag if you have a real physical translator, right? Like that's just, it's an awkward thing. When you interview somebody using a translator, you just kind of, there's no vibe. There's no like. Right, but there's a whole person there you're you're able to wait and look at and you know know what to uh, do when when you're talking to a translator. But AI is no embodiment. You're like, oh cool uh waiting for nothing you know you feel waiting little... for nothing uh the samsung story Sherlyn, you know a fun thing that would be really you know interesting to do is just like do a parent call with uh with live translate and just like a parent call a pe- call oh. with your parents and ha- try to have a conversation <laughs> uh using live translate and see how it works out for them I speak uh, all the languages hilarious. my parents speak so i don't think no i know more... definitely definitely it's it's called an example Sherlyn. it is something it's a demonstration for our readers to see if it works you know call your parents dev call your parents we don't speak other languages we were ruled by the british Sherlyn. we didn't have other things you know i'd rather call someone that i don't speak Wait their English. language it would be a better anyway you think all those uh example videos are real <laughs> Like everything. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that when I tried it out uh, at mm-hmm. Samsung, when they were, you know, someone was speaking Spanish on the other end, it was a yeah, very yeah. effective 
example cool. of how bad it is. So, no, most definitely. Okay, well, why don't you tell us, listeners, what you want Trillin to test with Live Translate? Yes, uh, exactly. Give us your crazy ideas. Podcastandgadget.com. The crazier, the better. Let's move on to some other news. And a big story this week is that uh, there was a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on child exploitation online where they basically just wrangled up all the top social media CEOs. So the CEOs of Meta, Snap, Discord, X, and TikTok uh, were grilled for several hours by senators. And it was, I feel like it was about as cringy as you'd expect at times and not always on point. But joining us to talk about this is senior editor, Chris Abel. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing okay. And I really enjoyed your write-up of this, Chris, because there is there was just like so much going on. But can you just like give us the background? Why were all these CEOs called there? Um, and what is going on now around like child protection at this point uh, from from all these politicians? Yeah, it feels like almost every year for the past few years, we have one of these hearings. They drag a bunch of social media CEOs and it's kind of, what yeah. about the children? Um, more recently, there's <laughs> been there's been a lot of um, pretty disturbing stories about some of these platforms in the news and how they handle child safety. Uh, Meta in particular, that has a big lawsuit from you know about 40 states that are suing them over mental health harms. There's been some pretty damning stuff that's come out. There's been stories about Discord, um, you know, being used as a platform to you know groom and you know in some cases kidnap children. Um, you know, you can go on and on. So this was, you know, there's been several bills floating around for a while. Um, you know, they, they're trying to gain, uh, grow momentum for a lot of these efforts. And so I think, you know, besides the normal kind of score kind of, uh, with Fox news clips, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I think that there, there's kind of a hope that, you know, having a hearing like this might kind of, uh, you know, increase the momentum for actually passing a law. And some of those bills include things like the Kids Online Safety Act, COSA, which a lot of people are talking about. I think that one's a really interesting one to drill down on because this is a, one of those things where like there's a big divide among politicians and people, you know, the people in power and the people who actually know about technology and civil rights are like, what are you, what are you doing with this thing? Can you break down like what COSA is and why so many people find it problematic when it comes to like you know, First Amendment rights and everything? Yeah, it's the Kids Online Safety Act. And they've actually gone through a few different versions of this. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the bill. And I think there's things that probably a lot of people agree with in some ways. Um, you know, there's uh, provisions that basically says that platforms have to do more to keep, you know, protect, like control what types of content is being served to children that they can be liable if that there's dangerous content, you know, um, self-harm, eating disorders, that type of thing. There's also provisions that they have to um, submit themselves to audits. They have to make data available to researchers. You know, there's a lot of components to this. I think where a lot of civil rights groups say that, like, they're worried about this bill is that it doesn't really define dangerous content right. um, in a very clear, explicit way. So they worry, and you know, I think people like Marshall Blackburn have already been uh, pretty explicit about this that they want to use the bill to kind of force platforms to say like not show um, LGBT content to kids. Um, they other advocates have said that you know maybe it would restrict resources about you know self harm and suicide. So you know, I think the the core concern is that it would actually like provide um, 
would sort of force platforms to censor a lot of content that could actually be helpful and isn't necessarily dangerous because it doesn't actually define uh, what dangerous is in a way that would allow those stuff to be online. A big part of that also seems to be like age verification, which people are pushing. And that that is the thing that I think civil rights groups are like, wait, so how do you do that? How do you verify ages for kids? Like then then you're getting government IDs involved. Then you're getting things like, okay, then biomet- do you have to biometrically scan to create a Facebook account? So then, okay, now you have facial data. Now you have fingerprint data. And I, I kind of agree with the critics who are saying like, you know, all of this is now mean you're going to be collecting data about kids. You're going to be collecting a lot of like really personal private information about kids, which is exactly what you're trying not to do. You're trying to prevent these companies from doing that. But it almost seems like that would be an even more draconian way to get like to actually get, I don't know, kid information. To me, that seems kind of a mess. What do you think, Shirlin? I mean, I'm curious about your perspective as a parent right i'm just like would you would do you feel safer about letting your kids online with those proposed measures if they were no it doesn't exactly but i also think like the whole thing about first amendment rights like it this stuff especially with like age gating and things like that will prevent like what kids can actually see and i don't think that actually helps i don't think that's actually part of the thing that can make the internet better what will make these you know companies and these like social networks more usable is like better user safety measures you know the things that twitter and x kind of gave up on as soon as elon musk uh came up um there's also like the kappa 2.0 act which i believe reading from your post krista that it's a kind of a revised version of the children and teens online privacy protection act i remember that thing that would bar companies from collecting or monetizing data without consent that seems like a little less like draconian like maybe we could do something there but this is like often the thing we say, like when like it seems like regulators want to solve a problem, but they go so far out to kind of do it and they don't understand the like overall repercussions of what they're saying. Uh, they don't know how it actually will affect the world. You know, it's like GDPR was great in Europe, but it also has led to a lot of like weird things about how we navigate the web and annoying things, too, that aren't so great. Um, but yeah, Chris, any highlights from this hearing? Because. I saw all sorts of stories floating around Twitter and everything. Yeah, I mean, the biggest moment was when uh, Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri basically um, pressured Mark Zuckerberg into standing up and apologizing to the parents of, of children in the room, in the hearing room. Um, that was a pretty dramatic moment, and, and Zuckerberg actually did it, and he, he stood up and faced them and you know said, I'm sorry, and you know we're trying to get better at this. Um, you know, that was pretty huge. There was um, a moment when Ted Cruz yelled at Mark Zuckerberg about um, a specific screenshot from Instagram that was kind of one of those warning screens you see in search sometimes that said something like, these search results may contain child abuse material and it was like, get resources or view anyway. And he's just screaming at him like, why would you be able to view it anyway? And, um, you know, he was trying to explain himself, but it's kind of hard to to defend um in that situation. I mean, this it, this is directly opposed to Mark Zuckerberg's new philosophy about Facebook or Meta and everything. It's like, hey, let's have fun. Fun times on the internet. Let's all have fun. I'm having fun. I'm building a bunker in Hawaii. Uh, why can't you all have fun like me? But yeah, these. Um, it does seem like he specifically has been trying to avoid talking about like the influence of Facebook and Instagram at this point. I'm going to read the thing that he actually said. So Mark Zuckerberg stood up and faced the audience and said, I'm sorry for everything you've all been through. No one should go through the things that your families have suffered. 
And this is why we invest so much and we are going to continue doing industry-wide efforts to make sure no one has to go through the things your families have had to suffer. Which is, okay, okay, end quote. But that is, it's very like, it feels like he knows what he has to say there. But I don't know if there's any, like, do you believe that, Sherlyn? Do you believe like this is a full-hearted, you know, apology for Facebook's inability to protect kids at times? It sounds very, it sounds very like, I'm sorry, you're angry. You know, it sounds very mm-hmm. like, uh, it, I, 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 Mark has a family, right? Yep. Like, I'm like, you, you, yep. you have a wife and kids. Like, don't, I think there would be a more personal urgency I would want to hear, right? And I just don't hear it. And I, that's, it sounds a little empty, but, uh, I, I think on a level he gets it. I think theoretically, philosophically, he gets it, right? But I think I don't feel that urgency. And I think that that's what's missing here. It's a bit of a disconnect. I feel like, you know, when we have talked about Zuckerberg's, like his whole, like his whole like perspective shift, like he is not the guy sweating bullets during, you know, congressional testimony anymore. He is the guy who's being like, hey, I have this vision for the future. We're going to have fun in the metaverse. And it just seems like his perspective has shifted to this other thing. So mentally, he doesn't have to focus on all these problems, you know, that, you know, in the wake of all his companies. Um, I think at some point, like he admitted that company, that families could sue him. You know, it could sue Facebook for for failing to protect their kids. Um, I mean, listen, there is everybody was there. That's the other thing too. Evan Spiegel, Jason Citron, uh, Linda Yaccarino, and Cho Chu were all there. And I feel my like, man Chu, my man Singaporean Chu fielding, brethren. Yeah, did you see the very racist uh, back and forth between him and Tom Cotton? It's very ignorant. Uh, and yeah, I guess it's. I mean, I, 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 the analysis around that exchange that i've seen are less about racism and ignorance and more about this is a political like no right yeah so but that that's it is a political thing because it leans on racist tropes is the thing like that so basically tom cotton was saying like are you connected to the chinese government right and cho chu was saying i'm i'm singaporean it's it's that's my whole no, the, thing. Yeah. Look, I get, I get that True wasn't an- answering the question directly that way, but when he went like, "Are, are you related to the Chinese Communist? Are, are yeah, you in yeah. the Chinese Communist yeah. Party?" and Show True is like, "I'm Singaporean." I was it's like, "Yeah, okay, company. yeah, completely Except, different you know, country." There are certainly criticisms of ByteDance, you know, absolutely and what ByteDance is doing. Um, I, I do feel like he is sort of in a role, Sherlin, of being protected, right? Like he is not. You can't say he is behind the Chinese government is behind him, but he's certainly. Working for a company that is, you know, I will tell you that I I don't think that Shochu is the like uprightest of Singaporeans. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I don't think he has zero. Like working for a Chinese <laughs> company, you've got to yes. be like yes. How many of these people are pain sponges? We we've talked about that concept, but from from Succession, Linda Yaccarino is absolutely a pain sponge. Like she is just there to absorb the garbage that Elon Musk like creates and try to like uh, get x on track uh, i feel like the same thing about shochu yeah yeah i think he is and he does it well a lot of singaporeans do it well so and maybe mm-hmm. that's why we were hired <laughs> but anyway. uh yeah you guys are bullshit good bullshitters i guess i don't know that's it Trillin. uh carissa culture. carissa any other highlights or things you want to point out it seems like they asked everybody about their companies and I, was there anything actually substantive being asked by politicians you know there were a few questions that i think were kind of interesting, but it's, it's hard because these the format of these hearings is just not really designed to actually yeah. get any like new meaningful information. Um, you know, you have five minutes, the CEOs are going to try to talk around any real question. You know, the senators spend half their time monologuing at people. Um, you know, I think 
It was interesting to me that Linda Yaccarino, I felt like, got off pretty easy. This was her first time at Congress, um, at least as a representative of his ex. Um, and she kind of kept saying that she kept referring to it as a 14-month-old company, as a brand-new company, um, <laughs> you know, as kind of – and it's kind of an interesting talking point because they're saying, oh, well, you know, Twitter might have been bad at it, but we're a brand-new company. And, like, nobody challenged her on that. Mm-hmm. Um I thought she the quote you have towards the end is uh, being a 14 month old company. We have reprioritized child protection and safety measures. Um, end quote. Didn't they fire most of the people involved in like user protection? It was one of the first things Elon Musk did. So was there any mention of the Taylor Swift AI images, which we'll talk more about uh, during this whole thing, Carissa? You know, there wasn't. I thought maybe there would be. That was a huge controversy yeah. this week, um, you know, and it doesn't deal directly with with children maybe, but I mean, there's no reason why that same scenario couldn't happen to a minor. Um, and no, nobody brought it up. Like I said, she, she kind of got off easy. They, people spent a lot of time um, going after Zuck and, um, and Chu, a lot of the Republicans, you know, of course wanted to, um, you know, just kind of accuse him of being like Go a, for the a Chinese Asian spy. Guy? <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean by that? Well, actually, Carissa, I want to let's bring you into this next story that we were going to talk about, because there is another bill that was prompted by this whole thing. Uh, There were a slew of Taylor Swift AI images that uh, showed her in like non-consensual sexual acts. So basically gross sexual deep fakes. And it it kind of aligned people I never expect to get aligned, like Lindsey Graham, Amy Klobuchar and Josh Hawley again. Uh, to pitch the Defiance Act, the Disrupt Explicit Foraged Images and Non-Consensual Edits Act of 2024. What a great acronym. The, great acronym. They're so, they must be like experts at this at this point. But it does seem like Congress and the U.S. government, like our politicians are kind of aware that this is a bigger deal now because of Taylor Swift. Um, I, this also kind of falls into stuff you've covered too, Carissa. Um have you seen like any chatter about this? It is surprising this was not even mentioned at all during the hearing. I mean, it's been really interesting to see how X has responded to this. Like they just, because, you know, the lack of safety uh, moderators and, you know, how they gutted most of their trust and safety team, as you mentioned, um, their approach to kind of fixing this is just blocking uh, like a blunt block of all search terms for, for Taylor Swift. You know, so if you type in Taylor Swift, nothing comes up. Um, I noticed the other day that when I, if you just started to type in Taylor into the Twitter search, it auto-suggested Taylor Swift IA because I guess AI was probably blocked. People oh. were trying to like already, you could tell people were already trying to game uh, whatever they had done to see, you know, and it, which just kind of shows you how how ineffective it is when you're not actually trying to remove these images and like address the actual source. The story was that these images were also made using, uh, hey, guess what? Microsoft Designer. And Microsoft going all in on AI, which forced the company to basically respond and be like, um, I don't have the full quote here, but I believe the company just said, like, we are, we are closely looking at these issues. And from what I've read from 404 Media, who's done a lot of great coverage around this, it seems like people realize that if you, like, misspell a celebrity's name a little bit, that would get over a safeguard of creating an image from somebody's specific name. So... First of all, I cannot believe nobody thought about that workaround before. I feel like the use of AI to, you know, generative AI to create images like this should be the first thing on the Microsoft's mind. So it's shocking, like a simple thing like that. That was a little technical loophole that people were able to get around. Microsoft designers used to create those images. They were being shared on Telegram. 
it just it just seems like hey this is just the beginning right of like what these generative ai gross images are going to be for all of us it just shows you that these companies haven't really learned their lesson from the past mm-hmm. you know if any kind of trust and safety professional could have told you hey people are going to just tweak the search terms we've seen this for years on on other social media platforms um, when they try to block searches for you know problematic content you know, they could have told you, hey, when you have these AI tools, people are going to use them to create, um, you know, disturbing images. You know, they know this. Um, it just kind of shows you where their priorities are because, you know, I think they always kind of take the most optimistic view because doing the work to actually address these things is a lot harder, I think. Specifically, this bill, by the way, um, which has just basically been announced at this point, but it would help, it would allow people to sue people sharing and who have created these sexually explicit images of themselves. So it kind of just opens the doorway for that. Um, just based on what we've seen so far, Chris, like, do you think this is a good path? Do you think like there are, are other things we should be considering to kind of prevent this stuff? Should this be at the company level or should it be at the level of like people distributing it? You know? I mean, I think it probably needs to be both to be honest, because you know, people will find ways to make this stuff, even if the companies try to do their best. So I think there probably needs to be, you know, they need to address like the whole issue. Um, I think in some ways it's, maybe it's good in a way that this happened to Taylor Swift, who's like one of the most visible and loved celebrities, which I feel like is kind of you know, motivated lawmakers, a lot more people to actually pay attention to this. They, they actually care more. Yeah, because it's Taylor Swift. Yeah. I don't even know if they all love her. I just think they're scared because they can see it happening to them now. Sure. So. But I mean, this has been an issue. It's not like Taylor Swift is the first person this has happened to, you know, especially, um, you know, the adult entertainment community has been talking about this um, quite vocally for a while. But, you know, it's very easy for, for people in power to kind of ignore them. Say, oh, well, you know, they're not like normal people who, who use our products, um, you know, but this is a very big issue. And I think maybe like Taylor Swift's, you know, unfortunately is the victim here, but maybe that's like can bring a lot of attention and actually getting something done. Speaking of Taylor Swift, by the way, and while we have you, Carissa, there's another bit of social media news. So this morning, this very morning, Universal Music Group announced that it's pulling its tracks from TikTok over all of like, uh, basically they have been working on, a deal, and according to UMG, uh, spot, uh, TikTok wants to pay a fraction of the rate paid by other social media sites. So that means any music featuring universal artists, including Taylor Swift, Drake, Billie Eilish, The Weeknd, are no longer listed. Like they are not on TikTok. Any videos that were using those songs are now silent. This seems like a pretty freaking big deal for TikTok. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, and. TikTok has, I think, way more to lose than Universal does. Universal is just fine without TikTok. Um, you know, but music and especially, you know, popular viral songs are so key to what makes, you know, TikTok sticky, make it, you know, makes it, you know, its growth so huge. You have a big song being, you know, we've all seen how songs go viral because of TikTok, how songs get so much more distribution because of TikTok, how specific songs like Gain New Life, it's just you know, I think not having some of the most popular artists on that platform, you know, could have really huge effects, especially if you think about, you know, other there some other competitors have Universal, have deals with Universal. So it's not like you can't ever make content featuring these songs, but you can't on TikTok. So um, I think this is going to be a big issue if they don't come to an agreement. I know you're not a TikTok user, Sherlyn, but do you have thoughts about this? I wouldn't say I'm not a TikTok user. I'll tell you this. When I you've, made, you've only uh, ever uh, uh, disparaged TikTok compared to Instagram, which I know you sure. 
So, which I was about to say, uh, yeah. when I make stories <laughs> on Instagram, uh, here do, comes the Instagram lover. Yes, yes. I I do enjoy uh, using like music tracks, right? That to to back my my videos, and I have looked at TikTok, and I always find like the titles available on TikTok a little too like trendy or hip for me. It's always like people I've never heard of, and then like they randomly go viral because they're, you know, the the music track for a, a video that went viral. And then you see Spotify kind of copying them and saying like, here's, you know, a few short clips featuring music that you might like. And I remember we talked a little bit about Spotify having like sort of mimicked uh, TikTok for music discovery. And, you know, songs that trend on TikTok clips tend to also trend on billboards eventually. So it, it I do see like how it could disrupt in a certain way, but I will tell you, I'm not surprised that it takes a Chinese social media company to be very cheap about paying uh, royalties and stuff like that. Because, and look, yeah. I, I, I think it might be stereotypical, you know, but it is, it seems like they're just not very used to it, right? And I, I, I think culturally, you'll see that like com- companies from Asia tend to not understand the, a Western way to do things, maybe. And this seems like that sort of cultural disconnect. I think eventually we might see TikTok realize that they will have to pay these royalties these fees um to actually use intellectual property um and it is a way of doing business that they have to probably adjust to if they want to like do well here honestly i think it's kind of amazing that this has gone on so long if like for the as way long TikTok as it has, yeah. is kind of like a free-flowing hey grab whatever music you want let's remix let's like upload stuff and the ability to grab whatever music and tie it to a video is like the heart of TikTok. That is what makes it so special and be able to share it and remix stuff from other people. So, well, okay. They yeah. used to be called musical.ly. Like, come on. That yes. was the heart of their yes. whole business. And they've been operating this long without it. I don't even know how that. Yeah. I think they were paying something before, but they're trying to renegotiate terms now. I think that's what is happening. Uh, but it's still like, it is shocking. Like, you you have like ten seconds of a song on YouTube, right? And your your video is banned. Your mm-hmm. the algorithm will find you and destroy your livelihood because you use too much of a song. Meanwhile, like TikTok is literally built on people sharing this stuff. So that I find kind of fascinating. Um, yeah. Any thoughts about like where this could go for TikTok, Krista? Because I they're dead without this, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll eventually come to a deal. I think it's inevitable. Well, let us know, everybody. Like, what is, what is your favorite thing that you have discovered from TikTok? Because uh, when it comes to music, like I feel like there are some tracks that keep getting repeated. Um, there was that Rosalia track from her latest album that ended up becoming like a big, big thing on TikTok. I didn't even realize that. So I don't know. That was a fun thing to find. Is that how you pronounce it? I Damn, okay. I didn't know how to... I always say Rosalia in my head. I used so I to say know. that, but it's Rosalia. Um, no, I'm the fun, the funnest thing I ever discovered on TikTok is this person called Adrian Bliss and uh, their videos on I don't know, the Bible slash human body slash just all kinds of funny skits. So yeah, TikTok has a purpose outside of, I guess, music but and dancing. Um, but definitely, I, I agree with Carissa. They're going to have to come to a deal. All right, Carissa, thank you so much for joining us to talk about, I don't know, the mess of social media that we're living through right now. Where can people find you online these days? They can find me on threads at Carissa B. I'm on Blue Sky if you have an invite there. And I'm still on Twitter slash X, not posting too much these days, but DMs are open. So people can uh, come and yell at me there if they want. Well, send Carissa <laughs> your scoops. How about that? Like any any good details about what's Be going nice on. to Carissa, y'all. Jeez. <laughs> Please. Thank you so much, Carissa. Thank you. Moving on to some other news. Uh, we saw a story this week. Elon Musk's $56 billion Tesla pay package has been tossed out by the court. The judge called Musk's compensation an unfathomable sum. That is a wonderful quote. Do you think 
Elon Musk deserves $56 billion from Tesla, Sherman? I think he deserves to pay $56 billion back to people. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I that, That's more than what he paid for Twitter, right? But yeah, still, like, yeah. I don't I don't understand where that pay package comes from, especially given all the problems Tesla has had recently, like, especially when it comes to the self-driving stuff. And I don't know, the like, clearly, like they had like no safety measures when it came to like producing some of these products. Uh, the Cybertruck is out there and everyone's like, Oh, this thing is going to be a disaster. Like, let's see what the, how the Cybertruck works in hot, humid sun, because you've basically created an oven on wheels. Right. Yeah. I'm curious who proposed it too. I'm like, who decided he's the one he needs this much money. Um, he's also <laughs> I mean, already like one of the richest men, if not the richest man in the world too. So Well, that was so, according to our story here written by Mariella Moon, uh, in 2018, Tesla awarded Elon Musk this money, to, which is what propelled him to the top of world's richest lists. Mm. Um, So, yeah, but a judge in Delaware has blocked that. Uh, Let's see here. Um, I was thinking, how will his ego take no longer being on the richest man? Let's see how he complains about it on his other billion dollar company, X. Um, let's see here. A Tesla shareholder accused the automaker of breaching its fiduciary duty by approving a package that unjustly enriches its chief executive. That certainly seems fair. Certainly seems like how I don't, well, why is he getting that much money? Does not make sense. He, admittedly, Elon Musk has put a lot of his own funds into Twitter to kind of put pump it forward and make it a success while also getting lots of money from the government. So, you know, maybe he's trying to like get some sort of like payback from all that, but it does seem fishy. And also speaking about Elon Musk seeming fishy, there was a story also this week. uh, Apparently, he claims that the Neuralink brain chip is already implanted in a human being. He says the individual is recovering well. And if you want to hear more about that, um, Chris Abel did do a video for it. Um, We have no more information about this. Like, we don't know, like, what like what actually it's uh, it's doing for this person. We don't know the extent to which it is helping them. Uh, I don't know. I'll be really interested to see like images or some sort of like firsthand account from this uh, person, this test guinea pig, basically. How long until you want a brain chip, Sherlyn? Never. Never. From Neuralink? You I, don't trust Elon Musk? Not. It's not just Elon Musk. I don't want any foreign objects in my body ever. So thank you very uh-huh. much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially not my brain, thanks. <laughs> Especially not your brain. I mean, listen, we could do a lot with stuff like on our heads or on our, you know, on our bodies. We don't have to go in. But I feel like he's so obsessed with that whole transhumanist thing. Uh, this is not too surprising. Maybe we should keep track of this person. <laughs> Make sure he's okay. Mm. Is he still okay a week from now? Is he still okay a month from now? Because uh, yeah, let's do a wellness s- check. Yeah. Somebody protect this man or person. We actually don't know who it is. So we shall see. News related to you, Shalin, uh, Google revealed another text-to-image generative AI tool called ImageFX. I remember seeing yeah. people get really excited about this. Can you break it down for us? Yeah. Uh, basically, if you know Dolly, you know uh, uh, Microsoft's uh, also been using Dolly and OpenAI stuff to do AI image journey, right? There's a lot out there. So now Google's here with its own version called ImageFX. Um it's pretty much the same thing we've seen before. You give it a text prompt and it'll spit out an image for you. We, I mean, I haven't spent any time testing it at all because it just launched today. Um, but at least it's free um, in within Bard. Um, there's also a bunch of other uh, AI tools or updates announced today as well. But what's different about ImageFX compared to the likes of Dolly and Midjourney 
are that its interface features something called expressive chips. Um, the idea of chips is like, uh, you know, Google has chips everywhere, right? Google has like the chips that have suggested responses in your uh, Smart Compose for your emails, for example. Um, these chips let you choose a different version or different like style of your image and they'll quickly, they'll help you quote, quickly experiment with adjacent dimensions of your creation and ideas. Um, and then did you know, Devendra, that Google mm -hmm. has tools called music effects and text effects? I heard about these. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't really know that music effects was a thing. So now, wow. uh, Google, yeah, I know when it launched, uh, image effects, Google also, um, updated and improved, it says, uh, music effects and text effects. Excuse me. So for music effects, it's basically updated the music, uh, language model that will include faster generation of music and higher quality audio. Generated songs can now last up to 70 seconds. And as for text effects, it'll, uh, it's just usability updates to improve the navigation and the overall user experience. Uh, so yeah, I mean, with all the concern around, right, Taylor Swift's AI generated, um, corn, I guess is the word that people use. Yeah, deep porn, fakes, yeah. Pornographic like images, deep fakes. Yeah. And the Defiance Act stuff. I mean, the tech companies that have been like talking about generative AI in this way have been somewhat aware that they need some sort of label or watermark. So image FX uh, generated images and music that's been made by music FX will be tagged by something called Synth ID, which is a digital watermark that should make it, well, it, it, the goal is to make it clear that these are created by AI uh, and they'll, they'll show up when you search for them in Chrome uh, as well. So they will also have IPTC metadata. This is, I think, an industry standard that people are trying to work towards having that metadata in AI-generated images. Hopefully, it's clear. Hopefully, it is well-labeled and people can tell when image is generated by the likes of ImageFX. You know, when we say uh, hopefully around any tech product, Sherlyn, like I, I'm like, what? You have no hope. What do you mean hopefully? <laughs> no, what do you mean? Like, why... Why don't we know? You know, it's the thing. Like Google, I, there's yeah. a quote here. Google says specifically, um, it is with this new thing with the Imagine 2 training data safety, it's adding guardrails to, quote, limit problematic outputs like violent, offensive, or sexually explicit content, as well as applying filters to reduce the risk of generating images of named individuals. End quote. Nice to have guardrails, I suppose. But I, I'm still of the opinion, like, you have this thing that has the potential to do all this stuff. Like, I feel like... Until we're sure, until we're more sure that you're not making this stuff, maybe this stuff shouldn't be out there. At this point, Sherlyn, do you think we we are rushing too far or too quickly into generative AI tools? I think we've always been rushing. I think we, mm -hmm. we've seen last year after the whole Bing AI yes. meets Bard AI fiasco that that was a clear instance of rushing, right? Google had a knee-jerk reaction like, whoa, 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 we have Bard AI. You know, it's, it's what else does rushing look like to you, right? Um, I also got the sense that around the time of Google I.O. last year slash before that, uh, maybe things were put out that weren't completely ready, right? And so, uh, yes, it is a rush, but what's new? What is That's new? kind of the way the world has been. I, I don't I don't see, like, we haven't... The AI rush to... is pretty new. Like, the AI rush is really rushed. It's, like, hyper-accelerated. No, I mean, I kind of mean the, the way yeah. things work, right? You you right. go out, and then you put garbage. You go out, and right. then you legislate. Like, that's kind of the way things have been working for a very long time. And until we have some people with foresight in the government or in authoritative positions, it's not going to really change. It's true. I mean, it's more like the new tech is doing this because, uh, listen... I guess we we're kind of seeing this even happen with the planes now too, like with Boeing's planes. Mm, God, they're, yeah, they're bigger windows, great certain, idea. Yeah, safety issues there. So 
you're right. It is partially it is partially the way things are now, but it feels kind of terrible, especially when especially when like Microsoft is basically betting its entire company on this thing. Uh, I wrote that piece before CES, you know, that it seems like it doesn't quite know what to do with Copilot. And I think that's truer than ever. And this Taylor Swift thing, which is directly related to Microsoft's own like AI implementation, like is a, is clearly a big sign. So I don't know, folks, let us know what you think about all of this podcast and gadget.com. Let's move on to what we're working on. Sherlyn, I hope you're ready to take some time off at, at least. Yeah. Thank goodness. Next week, I'll, I mean, starting tomorrow, I'll be off for about a week, lasting up until the Chinese New Year starts uh, or Lunar New Year. Um, February 10th is the first day of Lunar New Year this year. I am so ready to be over and done with Rabbit Year, which is great. Year of the Rabbit. The next February 10th will be the Year of the Dragon. Awesome year for most people, um, if you believe in that. But also, obviously... <laughs> uh, uh-huh. In the background, planning out our coverage of Mobile World Congress. I don't believe we are actually going to be attending. Not sure yet, really, if we might last minute decide to send. I miss from Mobile the World crew. Congress so much. What that a great show. show! Yeah, Barcelona's fun. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So regardless of whatever you're going, there is sure to be plenty of news from, I you know, European phone makers, Asian phone makers, m- most companies that make mobile products should have news so it will be busy 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 um i also got in the aura ring o-u-r-a and i've been testing it for about a week and change now um and i've been trying to wear it to sleep devendra i I think we talked about how you thought the ring for i've been wearing the aura just to have a bit of a baseline uh to compare against the samsung galaxy ring when that does come out and you were right about a few things right the i i understand that like your body kind of changes and swells and not swells over time during the day my I found that it's weirdly way more comfortable to wear the ring on my middle finger than my forefinger, and that huh. could be a sizing situation or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing: I wore it to bed like three nights in a row. The first two nights, I kept waking up in the middle of the night and throwing, having to throw the ring off, just like can't. And I would be like, maybe it's because like my room's too hot. Like so, I would. So the third night, I was like, okay, let's put it like freezing. Let's set it to like turn my AC on in the middle of the winter to make sure I'm cold. I still woke up in the middle of the night. So after that, I was like, I'm not doing sleep testing anymore with this thing. But I, what I did get in terms of the results were pretty awesome. I I was like, whoa, the, the detail that Aura gives me in terms of like, here's your heart rate overnight. And based on the shape, this is what you're experiencing. That was actually really insightful that I haven't seen any other company like Apple or Samsung or Google do. So that was nice to see. And I will continue to test it. Obviously, I take it off too much to wash my hands, but... You know, that's just going to be everyone with the ring, even though you can keep it on, to be you fair. You should be able to, like, at the very least, I mean, like, when you're cooking, when you're handling, like, raw meat, then maybe you oh, put yeah. the ring to the side. I got, but... like, some grease on it uh, while I was uh, prepping some food. That was that's, great. Yeah, so then I had to fun. wash it. So I'm know, glad you so. like the data, but apparently it's also waking you up in the middle of every night. It seems like a problem. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if I want to blame the ring for that. It's just, I, I feel like I'm it's quite different. sensitive as a person. Your yeah. body is getting used to something different. I think your 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 sleep body is like, hey, foreign invader, what is this? What is this on me? So I, I totally get it. But I also feel like a lot of people may end up having that issue. Um, there's bloating and stuff that happens like as you're sleeping yeah. too where, you know, that can, that can be a problem. Like it may feel very different in the middle of the night versus when you put it right. on. So yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to hearing your full thoughts, Sherlyn. I'm still not fully sold in that thing. My kingdom for the jawbone, you know, era of like really cool, you know. Bring back the Halo Rise, Amazon. Nobody's saying that. Bring back. Nobody's saying that. Sorry. 
Okay. Anything else you're working on, Sherlyn? Uh, hopefully taking a real break, man. Yeah, hopefully taking a break. Okay. Well, Sherlyn has basically been saying she wants to take a break for the past two weeks, and yet somehow she's still here and we can't get rid of her. So people, tell Sherlyn to take a vacation. Uh, as for me, I will hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, be getting the Vision Pro in tomorrow. Woohoo! Uh, I pre-ordered it because uh, we, we're still like waiting to hear back from Apple about things. But I pre-ordered it and we will be taking a look. And uh, yeah, we'll have full details on next week's show. I'll be flying to New York to shoot yes. a video about it too. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, so I'm so tempted to come back for that. That's like the problem. I'm like, I want to come back yeah. and talk about the vision, but no, I'm kidding. Well, if you want to come into the break. office next week and try it out again, you no. can. Because I think I basically have a line of people who want to try oh, out the get vision. Sam. Pro. I'm going to tell Sam. Yeah, Sam is going to come in. Sam is going to come in, and hopefully, Sam's going to join us next week to talk about it as well after his demo. So, hey, I'm looking forward to the vision pro. Drop us any questions. Like, if you have any thoughts about this thing, podcastinggadget.com. Let's move on to our pop culture picks for the week. What do you got, Sherlyn? Can I do the two things that I did not quite... Sure. Oh, not two. One thing that I didn't quite enjoy. So um, this week, uh, this past weekend, against my wishes, we uh, wanted to go watch Poor Things at the mm-hmm. cinema. Wait, why against your best wishes? It's a good... It's hang on, crazy. hang on, hang on. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. I, I uh, wanted to go watch Poor Things, but because of my poor planning, the theater was full. The poor uh, thing so I couldn't watch Poor you. Things. Yeah, I yeah. was the poor thing. Mm-hmm. And so... Against my wishes, the uh-huh. options boiled down to Wonka or the Beekeeper. Anyone but you? The Beekeeper. Oh, that feels like a movie <laughs> for you. That feels like a movie made no. for you. No, I ca- I would watch that at home on Netflix, right? It's not a a, a show I would pay twenty dollars at the cinema for. But uh-huh. I ended up doing that. It was cringe as hell. I felt really bad because, like, me and my boyfriend were like there. We we both were like, we don't want to do this, but we will. <laughs> And we trying to get out of it by going to the wrong theater. Come on. No, no, they're fine. We went in and we had fun. Like it was our 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 idea of fun during that movie was like groaning at the whole thing and being like, oh, so cliche. That's that sort of like awful person at the theater. Whereas uh-huh. like I feel genuinely bad for everyone who was around us going like actually enjoying it. They were like actually laughing. And I was like, oh my God, they find this funny? <laughs> what? Look, that movie Amazing. is like it's for a certain audience. It's not. I, I would watch it on Netflix just fine. I would not choose to watch it. I would play in the background. Um, it's Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell, and it was the is a rom com featuring Sydney Sweeney and her beautiful beautiful self. I think she looks great. I She's going to be in a this, horror movie soon that looks more up your alley, Sherlyn. Yes, a I think Sydney Sweeney is a capable actress. That like <laughs> this was not the movie for her to showcase her <laughs> acting chops. It is based on Much Ado About Nothing, which uh-huh. itself is a pi- pretty tiresome play. So it was just imagine it as a you know twenty first century movie and and, and Netflix ready, and you've got a sense of what anyone by you is. But anyway. Um, I heard such good things about poor things. I wasn't able to watch it yet, so that's on my list. I will say the recommendation this week is an oldie but goodie. I've been re-watching uh, old seasons of Whose Line Is It Anyway on Max. Hey, that's great. One of the best things ever. I think the new version with Aisha Tyler as the host is pretty good too, but I think I really enjoy the old ones. And like I laugh out loud so hard all the time watching that. So uh, Wait, yeah. which uh, which Who's Line? The original Drew British Carey. one or the Drew Carey? Okay. Drew Carey. Drew I mean, Carey the UK good. one is a little yeah. too old for me. Like you can see the <laughs> 90s coming out of it. I'm like, whoa. You could see the 90s and 80s coming of that. Because yeah, any exactly. British TV show always felt like it was made 10 decades before <laughs> right. because they didn't have the production power. So 10 decades? But yes, uh, you're right. No, you're a right. decade. A decade yeah. before. Basically. It always looks so. like a 
a bit a bit older mm-hmm. than like Jet. Yeah, yeah, totally right. That so. is a good shout out. Where are you watching? Who's line? Max. Max, the one to watch for HBO. Everyone. Well, thank yeah. you for that, Sherlyn. And I have a recommendation for you that I think you will really enjoy. And that is the new reboot of Mr. and Mrs. Smith that is coming to Amazon Prime Video. And uh, don't forget. The Brangelina movie? Are you really? Yeah, the the Brangelina movie. This is a reboot of that concept, which actually was originally a Scott Bakula TV show in the 90s. So nobody remembers that. But it was the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie movie that really got this whole idea out there. It's a reboot of that concept. Basically, two people working at a spy agency are paired together as husband and wife so that they are less suspicious. And it stars and is basically run by Donald Glover and a lot of the people that worked with him on Atlanta. And co-stars oh, Maya. That's awesome. That's awesome. And also co-stars Maya Erskine, too, who she was the voice of, uh, of the girl in uh, the lead character of Blue-Eyed Samurai which is really cool. She is a great, she was in that Hulu show pen 15 too. So she is more of a comedy actor. They're actually both more comedians, but uh, listen, Donald Glover, I think clearly worked out. Like he was like, okay, I'm going to be in an action show. I'm going to like spend a year making my pecs and everything look good. Um, <laughs> it is a relationship drama. It is a character study, but it's also like really, you know, it's, it's a spy thing too. Like it's an action packed spy show at times too. Uh, it is set in New York and around New York, which is fun. But they also do the James Bond thing of like, we're going to go to a ski chalet. We're going to go to the uh, streets of a small Italian town and have like a car chase in the middle of it. It kind of does all the things you expect from a spy show. But I think it's really well written. I think the concept is really cool. Um, and they are a great pair. Like, I think they have a lot of charisma, too. And I think it's just cool. I think it's Donald just like Glover a really good show. I will watch him in anything. Yeah. Donald Glover is great. Maya Erskine is like, I think fantastic too. And this was originally going to be, it was supposed to be Phoebe Waller-Bridge in that role. And I think this is actually a better choice because Maya Erskine does not look like somebody who would be an action hero, but in the show, you know, she is a very capable lady with a gun. She can kick butt when she needs to. And I think she has a, a lot of good chemistry with Donald Glover too. So the thing about Phoebe Waller-Bridge is I think she kind of like, sucks up a lot of the attention in the room when it's her so it's like that's the whole thing i love her too but this worked out pretty well so check out mr and mrs smith on amazon prime video don't forget uh, you'll have to pay three dollars more a month if you don't want to have ads with these Ugh. shows i hate that um but this show is very good so i don't know can you grandfather in with this point i'm not sure when that whole plan starts i think it's worth watching don't let this be another great amazon thing that kind of dies and is forgotten like the underground railroad which i think was a fantastic show uh specifically for you Sherlyn. i know you like action stuff you like relationship uh, stuff too and fun action stuff like th- this is gonna be great so check out awesome. mr and mrs smith on amazon prime video well that's it for the episode this week everyone thank you as always for listening our theme music is by game composer dale north our outro music is by our very own Terrence o'brien this podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at... I'm at Davindra on Mastodon, Blue Sky, Threads, but please don't. I'm not going to respond to you on Threads. And check out my movie podcast, The Filmcast, at thefilmcast.com. I have a lot of reviews from Sundance stuff there, too. So check that out. Ooh. Uh, if you want to send me a tip on what sleep bedside gadget can better track my sleep than a ring you can hit me up i am at sherlinstagram on threads or just c-h-e-r at engadget.com email us your thoughts at podcast at engadget.com leave us a review please on itunes and your podcast platform of choice and subscribe on everything that gets podcasts
The crazier, the better.